Well, good morning, church. Now, likely you have all heard of um, animal catchers. I think they're called um, animal control officers now. But um, I had an issue, and I was sharing with some of you about um, some groundhogs that uh, were living under my porch. Nicole thought, oh, they're so cute. I said, no, they're a nuisance. We've got to get rid of them. So I called the animal catcher, and he came over, and he set up this trap, and, and then once the, the groundhog, at least one of them, went into a cage, he, he then would come back, and he'd haul that thing off. I'm not sure where he went with it. Perhaps he brought it to your neighborhood. I have no idea. The point is, animal catchers can round up that animal, prowling your neighborhood, and haul it off. And if it were a stray dog, they would try and return it to its rightful owner. If it were some dangerous animal, then the animal catcher would want to round it up before it went out there and caused any harm. Well, Chuck Swindoll, he talks about word catchers. <laughs> word catchers. Suppose you're home one night and some word catcher knocks on your door. He says, excuse me, but does this word belong to you? And he continues, he said, we caught this word running loose out there and it was hurting everyone where you work and, and hurting those you go to church with. And, and your child said it sounded like it was one of yours. You take a long look at their catch and sure enough, you let that careless word out Sunday afternoon and it's hurt several people in its path. So embarrassed, you claim your nasty words and you send the word catcher away. Now, that's all a little ridiculous now, isn't it? But if there was such a profession, he'd have job security. Our world of talk is a world of trouble. And if there was a way for someone to catch your words before they went out and caused damage, you would likely hire them. I mean, how many reputations have been ruined by careless words? How much hurt has been caused by false accusations? How many lives have been affected by someone's slip of the tongue? How many kids have been damaged by sharp criticism and biting sarcasm and, and degrading words? How many churchgoers have stopped going and workers, church workers have quit working and Christian leaders no longer lead because of loose lips? And I wonder... How many problems in the church would disappear if we talked to each other rather than about each other? And when we talked to each other, we chose wholesome words that build up and not tear down. And yet there's not a person in this room, self-included, who does not struggle with the tongue. And the Bible has a lot to say about what we say. In Proverbs alone, tongue or mouth or lips or words are mentioned close to 150 times, an average of five times per chapter. And we went through Proverbs over the summer. I chose to not include that as one of our topics since I knew it was going to show up again in James and I figured you couldn't handle a double dose of this topic. I mean, once is bad enough. But in a book that deals with practical Christianity... With faith and action, it's really no surprise that James must talk about talking. He mentions the use of our tongue in every single chapter of his letter. 
So in the passage we're looking at this morning, James chapter 3, James chapter 3, he places it under the microscope. And so turn with me in your Bibles, if you're not there, to James chapter 3, as we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. And those of you familiar with James, go, I knew this topic was going to come up sooner or later. Here it is. This is our chance to get the most out of this. Because in this section, we just might have the most comprehensive teaching on the subject of the tongue in all of Scripture. And if I were to summarize this section in James, it would come down to this. Watch your words. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. Watch your words. Why? Three reasons from this passage here. Words are powerful. Words are poisonous. Words reveal a heart problem. Words are powerful, words are poisonous, words reveal a heart problem. That makes up our outline for this morning. So first of all, words are powerful. Words are powerful. Look with me at uh, verse 1 of James chapter 3. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a pretty strong introduction. And someone like me, who talks for a living, this is a rather intimidating verse. I mean, be good enough reason right here to just kind of avoid this passage. Let's jump over to the next section. But I want us to see here, James is not attacking at all the ministry of teaching. In reality, he's actually trying to protect it. Because the office of teacher in that day was considered by the Jews to be a very prominent position in Israel. The context uh, seems to suggest that in James's day, there was this uh, unhealthy ambition for public attention, for, for showing off one's knowledge by becoming a teacher. Because after all, that really can become heady stuff to be in front of a class or, or a congregation or a group of people to speak the voice of God to others. And so the teachers here that James is addressing are those who are rushing into that position without realizing the serious nature of it. That greater responsibility demands greater accountability. Greater responsibility demands greater accountability. And but he isn't trying to discourage people from teaching. The church today needs good teachers. And yet, there are plenty of people in our day assuming the role of pastor, teacher, or evangelist, or prophet, or or speaker, who really don't give a rip about the accuracy of Scripture. I'm saying it that bluntly. That they, they really don't care about truth and what God says. They just want this platform uh, for their own brand of opinions and ideas that have more to do with their ego than helping others. And the sobering warning then is to those who teach, and James includes himself in this, that there's a higher accountability for what you say. So teachers, watch your words. Why? Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Now all stumble, James says. James now broadens his application to include all believers. And the word stumble, really no mystery, it means to trip up. And doesn't our tongue trip us up more than anything else? I mean, the largest percentage of where we stumble and trip up is the tongue. 
That's why James goes on to say, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a, he's a perfect person, he's a perfect man, he's a perfect woman, able to keep his whole body in check. You see, it isn't just those with an official title of teacher, but all of us should watch our words. Because the truth is, we are all teachers in the sense of the many lessons we are teaching others by what comes out of our mouths. The who people who are watching and listening to us. There are lessons that come out of that. I'm reminded of a young boy who was turning home, returning home from a, a, a trip to the store with his dad in his car. And then as he, he walked into the house after that little trip to the store with his dad, he told his mom, he says, you know what, mom? We passed two idiots, three morons, and four fools. <laughs> I wonder where he got that from. Somebody's paying attention to the words you use. It's like the little boy who was leaving church one Sunday morning and he, and he slipped a, a dollar bill. He slipped a dollar bill into the pastor's hand. And the pastor looked at him confused and asked him, what's, what's that dollar bill for? The little boy looked up at him and said, you know, I feel sorry for you and I want to help you out. Well, that confused the pastor even more. And so he asked, why do you feel you need to help me out with this dollar bill? And the boy said, because my daddy says you're the poorest preacher he's ever heard. <laughs> So anyone hands me a dollar this morning, we'll fill in the rest. See, the point is what? You're a teacher whether you want the position or not. It's incredible how this little thing, this two-ounce slab of mucous membrane, as Chuck Swindoll calls it, can be so powerful. And that's where James goes next. And you notice James loves to use illustrations. Well, the next four verses, verses three through six, he speaks of horses, ships, and forest fires. And he uses those illustrations all for the purpose of our seeing how a little mechanism brings disproportionate impact. Follow along as I read verse three. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Take ships as an example, although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now let me just stop there for a second. James here, he employs two illustrations of that day that we can really understand uh, that express the power of little things. The horse and the bridle, the ship and the rudder. So he mentions horses. And it's, it's the largeness of that creature compared to the size of the bit in his mouth that drives home his point. A horse is half a ton of raw power, can pull at least its own body weight, and some suggest that it can even pull twice its weight. Yet you place a bridle bit into his mouth and a 100-pound woman on, the back, on his back who knows what she's doing, and the horse will do as she directs. It's amazing. The same way, massive ships, like the USS Enterprise, not, not the Star Trek one, but the USS Enterprise, which was, which was uh, stated the one that was uh, one of the largest warships in the world by U.S. Navy, uh, I think around the 60s, but that one is, is over 1,200 feet long, 1,100 feet long, weighing over 94,000 tons, carrying a crew of up to 46,000 people. It was steered by four small rudders. It's commonly believed that the massive German battleship, the Bismarck, called by some the unsinkable, 
was overtaken by the British in 1941 because the rudder had been damaged by a torpedo. Without the rudder's control, the ship began to steer an erratic zigzag course, making it easier for the British to attack and eventually sinking the ship, as the story goes. Now, if we can do it with horses and ships, shouldn't we be able to do it with our own tongues? And yet, tongue control is foreign to us. Likewise, James goes on to say, verse 5, verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body. What he means is it's a small, insignificant member in its appearance, okay? And that small member in its appearance, it makes great boasts, he says. Small bridle, big horse. Small rudder, huge ship. Small tongue, powerful results. That's what he's saying. I mean, have you ever uttered words that you wish you never said? Guilty. And yet, you know, there's, there's no control Z key that we can hit to erase what we've said. If you're not familiar with a control Z or command Z function on a computer keyboard, it's the undo shortcut. In other words, you type something in your computer on a Word document, say, and, and you realize, now that isn't what I want to say. That's, the, the solution's easy. Control Z. Undo button races it all. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be nice? Don't you wish life came with a control Z function? <laughs> you speak a few careless words, you immediately realize, ah, I shouldn't have said that. Simple. Control Z. Undo. But you can't. There's no control Z capability. Once our words are out there, they are impossible to recover. Watch our words. Never underestimate the power of the tiny tongue. Middle of verse 5, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He uses another illustration here. And who here hasn't seen the effects of one small spark? I remember seeing it happen once. It was a, a kind of an amateur firework display. There were a bunch of family members just putting on this firework display. And, 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 and as they were doing this, this one spark flew into a pile of uh, dry branches and debris, and it went up like that. One spark. James compares that to the tongue. He says, verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And he says world of evil here, what I believe he's getting at is every sort of evil in the world finds an ally in an uncontrolled tongue. James is not being very nice here. He goes on. It corrupts, he says. It stains the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And the word for hell here is, is literally Gehenna, which is referring uh, to the valley of Hinnom, um, Hinnom, which is outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And you can do your own research on this, but Gehenna was the place where the residents of Jerusalem stacked all their garbage and filth. It was a place where refuge, in some cases the bodies of, of criminals and animal carcasses and all other kinds of garbage and filth were thrown there. It was the place of total defilement. And, and fires were continually burning there. 
So James just might be saying by that, that in essence, unrestrained, uncontrolled tongues are like that stinky, unclean trash dump on the other side of town. I mean, do we trash others with our words? Watch our words, because we don't. We're igniting garbage that goes out there, and it stinks everything up around us. Now, to go one step further here, and I think we can, the illustration of Gehenna just might be pointing to that place where Satan and his demons live. Because Jesus uses the image of Gehenna to speak of that place of eternal punishment for those who reject him. So this would then mean that the tongue can become a tool of Satan to destroy others and to damage the church. Have you ever thought of it that way? Our words are powerful. Secondly, our words are poisonous. They're poisonous. Look with me at verse uh, 7. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man, no person can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, James isn't saying that we've been able to domesticate every animal in existence, but it is amazing, isn't it, what, what some people have been able to do with animals? I mean, if you've ever been to SeaWorld or, or some other great a, aquarium or to, or to a zoo or circus, you've, you've witnessed uh, whales and, and dolphins jumping through hoops and lions and tigers submitting to the trainer's wishes and elephants even standing on its hind legs. We've seen all kinds of animals tamed to do tricks at the command of the trainer, but have you ever seen anyone tame the tongue? I mean, we, we can get this 16-foot whale weighing over 10,000 pounds to jump out of the water to tap a beach ball into the air with his nose. But we can't keep this thing in check. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's a verbal cyanide. Like the deadliest of poisons, words have the power to wound and kill. It's been noted, it's been noted that for every word spoken in Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, 125 lives were lost in World War II. For every word spoken, 125 lives were lost in World War II. Now, our words may not have literally killed anyone, but how have our words wounded and hurt others? I mean, the old familiar words of childhood chant, sticks and stones may break my bones, but, bones will, but, but words will never hurt me. Just not true. I mean, we, we can only wish they were so. I mean, that mark from a stick or stone, most cases, has been forgotten. But the words spoken uh, live in our collection of memories for a long time. And many in this room have suffered and still suffer from the wounds caused by words. You, you'll never amount to anything. I hate you. I wish I never married you. Why can't you be like your brother? No wonder, no wonder no one likes you. You're such a loser. How about this one? 
go to hell. You kidding me? Those are words that have come out of our own mouths at times. Because words are poisonous. So be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little tongue, what you say. John Wesley was a great English preacher of the 1700s, and he was considered a rather fashionable dresser. One Sunday morning, the story is told that he wore this bow tie that had long ribbons that hung downward. And after the sermon was over, a lady walked up to him and said, Brother Wesley, are you open to some criticism? He said, okay, I guess so. What would you like to criticize? She said, the ribbons on your tie are entirely too long and inappropriate for a man of God. And she took out her scissors and cut them off. Well, a hush fell over the people standing there as Wesley calmly asked, may I borrow your scissors for a moment? She handed them to him and he said, ma'am, are you open to some criticism? (laughs) She answered, well, I suppose I am. He said, all right then, please stick out your tongue. I think he got his point across. Now, I was tempted to ask all of you to stick out your tongues this morning, but I thought that might give you way too much pleasure as it'd be directed to me. <laughs> but honestly, I do invite you to stick your tongue before, out before the mirror of God's word. Not at me, the mirror of God's word. And as you stick out your tongue, what do you see? Meanness? Negativity? Gossip? Chronic complaining? Boasting? I mean, is your tongue poisoned relationships? Is it your tongue that's, that's pushing people away? As someone observed, the reason a dog has so many friends is that he wags his tail more than his tongue. So as you stick out your tongue, what do you see? Now, the only place really that I know of where it's appropriate to stick out your tongue is visiting the doctor, right? I mean, but why is it that we, we are told to kind of stick out our tongues at the doctors and say, ah, well, no doubt some, uh, some of you in the medical profession in this room are better qualified to answer that than me. But from what I understand, a doctor or nurse can observe a lot by the tongue. Your body may be telling you something. If your tongue is bumpy or it changes color, it's white or it's pasty, In fact, in Chinese medicine, they believe the tongue actually reflects all the diseases of the body. And so just as there are things that can be determined about our physical health by looking at our tongues, our tongues also can be useful in determining our spiritual health and maturity because words reveal a heart problem. My third heading this morning, words reveal a heart problem. Verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, this should not be. Now, cursing doesn't mean casting of spells. It doesn't even mean the speaking of expletives. The cursing really is is to insult or belittle someone else. And who are those who are made in God's likeness? Who are God's image bearers? Just fellow Christians? No, all people. You mean, you mean, Pastor, those outside the Christian community that we despise? 
You mean, Pastor, though, that person who cuts me off and I wail on my horn and I speak colorful words? You mean that person at the checkout counter who just can't get it right and I want to give that person a piece of my mind? That person's made in God's likeness? Yes. Yes, he or she is. And James says there's a glaring inconsistency and gathering to sing, you know, death was arrested and who you say I am on Sunday morning, then as soon as we leave the service, you lay into a fellow believer or you pass on some juicy gossip or you curse that person who cuts you off. See, we can't be blessing on one side of our mouths and cursing the other side. We can't praise someone here this morning and then on the way home speak badly about them and curse them. But why do we do this? James addresses that. He gets to the source of our speech problem down in verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. Can both fresh water and salt or bitter water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now I wonder, might James have had Jesus' words on his mind again when Jesus said in Matthew, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or we might translate it this way, words tattle on our hearts. The tongue reveals more about us than we care to admit. See, a problem with talk is not a vocabulary problem, it's not a technique problem, it's a heart problem. And I don't want to believe this. I would rather believe that it was just a slip. I'd rather believe, oh, that really, that really wasn't me. No, 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 that was really spoken out of character. I mean, that's what I'd like to believe. Words always reveal the condition of the heart. You have never spoken a word that's not ruled by your heart. Because the tongue doesn't have a mind of its own. So whatever fills your heart will fuel your tongue. An uncontrolled tongue reveals an unrestrained heart. The words reveal what is inside of us. Word problems are heart problems. Always. I mean, why does cursing and anger and bitterness and and criticism, slander and gossip and harshness and meanness and all this stuff just flow out of our mouth? Because in our hearts there is this war going on between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. Flesh, spirit. And so James 3, 8, he says, but no man, no woman can tame the tongue. And when it says no one can tame, it literally means not one single person. No one has the ability intrinsically in himself to restrain his tongue at all times. You can't do it. I can't do it. It requires something bigger than us, something more powerful than us. It takes the power of God himself because no one can tame the tongue, but Jesus can. The Holy Spirit, uh, believer, who lives in you can help you for one of the nine flavored fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we're not off the hook here and just say, ah, no one can tame it. I, just, I can just spew off whatever I want. Wrong. So what do we do? We need to own our our helplessness in this area. I need to own that I cannot tame the tongue and I do rely on the Holy Spirit constantly to empower me to pause before I speak, 
to watch my words, to show more self-control over the tongue. See, we should not be afraid to look into the mirror of James chapter 3 and stick out our tongues. What does it reveal about the heart? Because that's really the starting place for change. Own, you have a heart problem. Jesus wants your heart. He wants to recapture the hearts of people. Because trying to control the tongue can just be downright frustrating. And you might conclude the answer is, you know, I'm just going to keep my mouth closed until I die and go to heaven. (laughs) Well, in a little English cemetery, there's a tombstone that reads, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. We don't have to wait till then. We might think that's all we can do. No, no, the answer isn't simply hold our tongue, but to use this wonderful gift God has given us for good. And I want to end our time this morning on the positive side of this small but powerful tongue. It's small but powerful. It makes great boasts, James says. It's true that we can accomplish great things with the tongue, but I want us to consider the positive side of this. Consider ways we can use the tongue to speak life words. For Proverbs 18.21, one of my favorite Proverbs, it says the tongue has the power of life and death. See, it's not just about speaking less, though we all could probably benefit from that. It is about Christ getting a hold of our tongues so that we speak life into each other's souls. It's about arousing each other's appetite for Christ by the words we speak. It's about allowing the life of Christ in me to flow out and speak to a need in you. And we ought to do that for each other. And so I want us to grab a hold of the tremendous capacity that this tongue has for good. I mean, think about it. Who could use a word of encouragement right now? Write a note. I know it's kind of a lost art today. Write a note. Okay, send a text. Pick up the phone and make a phone call. Tell someone why you appreciate them. Take opportunities and conversations to use your words to build up, to bring life into people's hearts and souls. Send emails out. Post, put up posts that are uplifting and edifying rather than all this other junk we put up there. Try a verse or something. I don't know. Speaking to myself, guys, this is not easy here. But I want us to grab all, we must not back away from the power of the words we speak. Let's use our words to speak life into one another in this community, in our homes, out there in the streets. Are we speaking life words or death words? Here's a challenge for this week. Here's your homework assignment. If someone were to pay you $10, I'm really not going to give you that or anyone else probably, but imagine if someone were to pay you $10, for every life word you speak this week and collect $5 for every death word spoken, by next Sunday, would you have more money or less? Richer or poor? Ten, life, take away, five for death. I read of a true story of a dad who decided it was time to take his two-year-old daughter out on a date. 
So they went out to breakfast at a local restaurant. They had just gotten their pancakes. So the dad figures it's going to be a good time to tell his daughter how much he loved and appreciated her. Jenny, the dad said, I want you to know how much I love you and how special you are to mom and me. You're growing up to be such a wonderful girl. We couldn't be prouder of you. And once he said this, he stopped talking. He reached over for his fork to begin eating, and he, but he never got the fork to his mouth because his daughter reached out her little hand and laid it on her father's hand. And his eyes went to hers, and in a soft, pleading voice, she said, Longer, Daddy, longer. He put his fork down and he proceeded to tell her some more reasons and, and ways he loved and appreciated her. And then he, again, he reached for his fork and a second time and a, and a third time and a fourth time he kept hearing the same words, longer, daddy, longer, longer, daddy, longer. She was craving it. He spoke life words. She wanted more. Your words spoken to your spouse, does it make your spouse want to move closer to you or further apart? The word spoken to your child as you enter his or her room. Does your child say, please keep speaking this. It's such an encouragement to me. Does he, does he say to you, mommy, daddy, longer, longer. Do those in the church family say, longer, stay longer. Just keep speaking. I mean, are others glad to see you come or glad to see you leave? The tongue, small but powerful. Is the power for death, yes, but it also has the power for life. Church, let's speak life words to one another. Let's speak life words to one another. Let's pray. God, we um, come humbly to this section because we really know how far we fall short of a proper use of the tongue. Maybe it's even stirred up some guilt here this morning, regrets. I certainly have my own. It's okay, acknowledge that, do what we need to do with it, put it somewhere, but that's not where you want us to stay. It's just not be a time in which we're all kind of beaten up this morning, but rather built up. Say, I want to speak life words into people this week to catch it, because no one else is going to come catch it for us, that we'd be our own word catchers. Do that work in us. Speak into our hearts. Become, acknowledge how much we need you to even pull that off. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.